You're listening to a message from Christian Life Ministries in Coventry, a dynamic, growing church in the heart of the nation. We pray that God will speak to you through this word and impact your life for His glory. Thank you, guys. Great to see you here. I'd like to extend my warm welcome to you, especially if you're here visiting us today. If you're new among us, great to have you here. Uh, Also, um, great to have uh, Pastor Dave Lakin here. And I do encourage you to go and get hold of his book at the end. It's a really great read of a life serving God in ministry and uh, connects a bit with our journey in part of that towards the end of the book. And uh, great to have you here, Dave. And thank you for the thousands of people's lives that you have touched through a life in ministry. And uh, great to have you back here at CLM today. Well, who enjoyed the royal wedding yesterday? Did you see that? Who enjoyed having a preacher on the pulpit yesterday? They was like, wow, how good was that? How good was that? I mean, I mean, it was a multicultural, what was it? It's like, I mean, I, you know, being a CLM, didn't you feel at home at the royal wedding yesterday? Like, I was like, I was like, wow, this is really working. So, um, and uh, you know, I actually, I had it on and I was doing something else. And then, and then the person bringing the address, and I, and I don't want to spit on anything that's gone before, but I, like, I was shocked. I was like, what's happening here? There's a, there's a preacher on the pulpit. And uh, it was just so exciting to, to hear, hear him unpack something of the gospel of Jesus, unashamedly. And, uh, you know, you just felt he really wanted to move away from the lectern, didn't he? You know, but... Um, I guess he was on a fairly tight leash, but it was, uh, it was so good, and uh, I'm sure you enjoyed it. I know a lot of our ladies also uh, came along yesterday morning to Elevate Breakfast. Just to let you guys know, we're going to have our first, if I say ever, certainly first in a while, CLM Men's Breakfast in June, in the, the 16th of June, so we'll say more about that. Yeah, some of the ladies get more excited than the guys. <laughs> we're going to have a great time, guys. Yeah, yeah why don't you say, why don't you say, whoo? Yeah, it's all right. All right. Anyway, uh, so that's coming up. We'll say more about that uh, next week. And uh, but by the way, b- being male is not all about who. It's about submitting your life to Christ. But we'll, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll come to that. We'll come to that. Great. We are in the book of James. If you've got a Bible or a device, please turn there. We're in the New Testament. James chapter 3. We're in a series. And the series is called Faith that works. Can we say that together? Faith that works. Faith that works. You remember at the start of our series, Dr. John Andrews, in an unforgettable message, if you were here, speaking that faith has a face. That actually, if we are going to be the believers and the followers in Christ, we recognize in line with the teaching of the New Testament, we are not saved by our works, but saved alone because of Jesus and by faith in him. And yet if we have faith in him, it will be evidenced. It will be seen that there has to be some outworking of our faith for our faith to be real. And James says, faith without works or without deeds is dead. It's, it's just nothing. It's not, there's nothing happening if there's no outflow. And let's not pretend it's alive, a living faith. If it's a real faith, you'll see it. And this is the big message of the book of James. This is where we've been. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we were in chapter 1 and pulled out some threads of how James had positioned his life as a doulos, a bond slave of his half-brother Jesus, and basically had given away all the rights of his life, as had Paul, as had Peter, to say, I'm here to serve the one. And actually, if we're going to put a face to our faith, we have to begin at that point of understanding that our lives are no longer our own. And we also talked a bit about trials and how God can fashion and shape us in trials. And maybe our first prayer shouldn't be, Lord, free me from the fire, but forge me in the fire when we're going through things. Not that we shouldn't pray for God to deliver us because he is a deliverer. But sometimes the fire we're in is a fire that God himself has lit in order to do something in us. And if we position ourselves to yield, we'll not only come through more like him, come through refined, we'll probably get out of it quicker. And probably not have to go into it again. Because sometimes, you know, we try and squirm and wriggle out of what God is shaping us in. And then we find ourselves in the same place. Why? Because we just tried to get out of it instead of saying, Lord, forge me here. We talked a bit about perspective and how we might view the way that God works. The way that God fashions the woman of God. The way that God fashions the man of God. It is through the trials of life. And we talked about posturing ourselves to humbly submit or humbly accept the word implanted, we respond 
to Jesus. And, and Esther last week opening up chapter 2, uh, much more challenging text actually, uh, but really asking us whose seat are we sitting in? Are we sitting in the seat of the judge or the seat of the judged? Do we understand we are those that will be judged and how we view others, we will be judged for that rather than sitting in the judge's seat, which isn't ours to sit in and how we view others. And she asked the question, whose law are you living by? But landed in the good news that is there in chapter two, that mercy triumphs over judgment. Thanks be to God for his great mercy. Here we are today in chapter three, And uh, I wonder, actually, for the reading of the word, would you stand with me, please? Let's stand again. I know we've been up and down. Let's stand for the reading of the word of God. If you've got a Bible in your hand, why don't you follow it with me and keep your thumb in it? Or if it's on a screen, keep your thumb on it. And uh, for those who don't have the Bible in your hand, you'll see it on the screen anyway. This is James 3, 1 through to 18. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. When you put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey, we can turn the whole animal or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boast. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body. It sets the whole course of one's life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse human beings who've been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a a grapevine bear figs? Neither can salt spring produce fresh water. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. This is the word of the Lord. Do be seated. Wonderful. Well, if you want a message for today, uh, it's going to be taming the tongue. And we are going to spend most of our time in the run from verses 2 to 12, where James spends a a real emphasis here talking about the mouth, the tongue, our words, and how we speak. Uh, I think the whole world understands the power of words, right? There's that phrase, sticks and stones may break my bones, but names or words will never hurt me. And we all know what a load of rubbish that is. We, we, we all know how untrue that is. We, we have come to know that actually we might break a, a bone and it will heal, but actually words, words spoken can damage, can stay, can limit for years and years and years if we don't deal with them. Such is the power of the tongue. Such is the power of words. The power is in our mouth to, to give life and also to, to bring down and to tear down. Such is the power of what can come out of our mouths. Words are powerful. There's not a weekend in the news that goes by without somebody says something that is newsworthy. Normally Donald Trump, but if not him, so someone else will say something that's newsworthy. This, this week, John Burko, who is the leader of the House of Commons, his job is to keep order in the House of Commons. The guy who's going, order, order. Yeah, and, and yet this week, he's in trouble because although he's there for nine years, he's been bringing order to the House of Commons, he can't bring order to his own mouth because he muttered and was caught muttering to a female cabinet minister, stupid woman. Yeah, that's been in the news. And, and understandably, he's in trouble. Why? Because he couldn't bring, he could bring order to the chamber, but couldn't bring order. This is what James is talking about. This is the power of words. 
I think also as we look at this today, we need to understand not only what comes out of our mouths, but also uh, what comes out of our thumb. Because we can say things by our thumb. What do you look at your thumb? Say, tame the thumb. We've got to tame the thumb. We've got to tame the tongue. We've also got to tame the thumb. You know, sometimes we can fire off an email in anger. We can post something, and it can be damaging. It can be hurtful. We've got to be careful. Social media, we understand about trolling and cyberbullying. It's massive in our schools. You know, and actually, not that, not that kids can't be cruel to one another by the tongue, but in, in the teenage world, it seems some of the bullying is happening at arm's length. And we have to be aware of this. We have to watch out for this. As somebody said, you know, tweet others as you would have them tweet you. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever said something and, 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 and it's gone out and you, you wish you could take it back. But it's too late. Once it's gone, it's gone. It's out there. You know, I, I'm an extrovert. It means that I, I, I've never been at a loss for words. This chapter is terrible for people like me. You know, if you're an introvert, if you're a person of few words, you, you give thanks to God right now. That, that this actually, not that you can't get this wrong, but this is a bit easier for you. Those of us that are quick to speak, we, we have to, we need the Holy Spirit badly. I don't know if you have said something the other, you see things online that people have no, they've not thought about. You might have seen the, have you seen the church signs that they love to have in America outside churches? And sometimes, like, somebody just didn't think about that. I, I caught up with some of these. Best sausage supper in St. Louis, come and eat Pastor Thomas Wrestler. <laughs> like, what? I mean, seriously, don't let worries kill you. Let the church help. Uh, we love hurting people. That's what we do here. The class of prophecy has been cancelled due to unforeseen circumstances. Do you know what? When it's rescheduled, I think I'll give it a miss, right? <laughs> Having trouble sleeping? We have sermons. <laughs> Come and hear one. There's this some things on, on social media. I don't know if you can read this. It says, I, I saw the dumbest elevator today. I had a button for the floor I was already on. And the friend, the friend says, I don't know how I feel about this. I'm like, yeah. What is Obama's last name? Does anyone know? And then you go, oh, delete, delete, delete. You know, it's like, oh, no, it's too late. This is crazy. Uh, this, this person says, I was just trapped on escalator for hours. The power went out. The friend goes, well, why didn't you just walk down the escalator then? And he said, because it stopped working. He says, well, an, an escalator is just moving steps, lol. Oh, yes, yeah, so it is, lol. Did you mean elevator? No, an escalator. I mean, what? I love this. Jesse, why do you have a pic frame picture of your ceiling fan? And then, and then just a little moment later, I, I realize that is a mirror. <laughs> wow. But we can say something, we can send something, we don't always think about it. Now, we'll come back to that in just a moment. Just before verses 2 to 12, uh, there are... There's another point that James makes, and then there are some points after. I'd like us to touch on these briefly. You might want to stay here longer inside your life groups this week as you also camp in this chapter. Firstly, in verse 1, just before the taming of the tongue, James says, uh, talks about those who teach. He says, not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. Well, of course, this is so, because those of us who teach, we're not just shaping our own lives, we're we're shaping the lives of others. So you might ask, well, why, why would you do that? Why would you do that if you're going to be judged more harshly? Well, the, the answer for me is uh, I only do this because I've been unable to run away from a call to do it. And if I try and run away from a call to do it, I'm going to get judged on that. So actually the answer isn't to, um, to shrink back from it, but is to prayerfully, diligently, with the fear of God, try to open the scriptures in a faithful way that when I meet him, judgment won't bring his wrath upon me, but actually will bring something good. Uh, but, you know, I want to say to you, those of you who have an aspiration to preach and teach, I would say, like, only do it if you can't not do it. 
Now, somebody said that to me when I was young. You know, if you can do anything else to do it, if there's a call you can't escape, then, then you're going to have to go forward. But understand there is, there is judgment on those who teach and preach. No doubt James is speaking about those that are leaders in the church because he says, you know, we, we who teach, he's talking about himself. We heard a couple of weeks ago how James was one of probably the big four hitters in the early church, the head of the council in the Jerusalem church. And so he was one of the teachers. One of those who set before the believers what their lives should look like and what doctrine was. But, but you know, I, I'd also want to just suggest to us that all of us have influence. And where we influence, we may not teach on a big scale, but we teach a model on a small scale. Now, Jesus said in, in Matthew 5, 19, anyone who breaks the least of these commandments, speaking of the Ten Commandments, and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. I want to say, if you've got children, what are you teaching your children? You may not be standing on a pulpit. You'll be teaching them something by what you say and by how you live your life. What are you saying to your friends? When we speak, we influence. Are you speaking life and truth? Are you leading others into godliness? Are you living at a standard lower than full submission to Christ and somehow encouraging others to do likewise to make yourself feel better? I want to say to all of us, let's be careful. Whether big setting, small setting that what comes out of our mouths, and I think it's actually linked to what he says next, it can be an influence to others. The, the, the bigger the platform you stand on, then the, the greater the judgment may be. But for all of us, we, we teach and we shape those around us. After this run from verses 2 to 12, uh, James also, as we've read, talks about two kinds of wisdom. I want to just take a moment to unpack this, and then we'll move on to our main subject for today. He says there are two kinds of wisdom. He says, firstly, there is the wisdom of the world, or so-called wisdom. He actually puts it in inverted commas. Wisdom, which he says is, is not wisdom at all. It's not actually wisdom. It's so-called wisdom. And also, there is, verse 17, real wisdom. The so-called wisdom, James says, he is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic or literally of the devil. There is, there is a form of wisdom. There is an approach to life which is earthly and spiritual and actually inspired by the devil. But there's a second track, thanks be to God, which is wisdom that comes down from heaven. And here, James is putting for, uh, before us, there are, there are two tracks down which you can position your life. And I want to say to you today, I, I believe this is true. We can position our lives to go down a track of the wisdom that comes from heaven, or we can go down the track of the wisdom that is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. The, the wisdom that comes from heaven, the Bible says, is characterized by humility. It produces a harvest of righteousness. But the, the wisdom that is unspiritual produces disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom from heaven characterized by humility and produces a harvest of righteousness. You know, I really believe that, that we have a choice as to how we shape our lives. And this is really in verses 13 to 18. You know, sometimes, my brothers and sisters, we, we can try and live our lives God's way. And we can look at others and it, it can appear that those who are not living by God's way are actually succeeding in a way that we're not. I don't know if you've ever felt that, seen that. You know, the psalmist says, don't, don't fret when evil men succeed. It's fine. But there is something that comes forth. When you plant a seed, it doesn't come up in an instant. But there is something for the long haul. You know, I, I, if I could speak to my younger self, I became a Christian when I was 17. I'm now in my mid-40s. You know, if I, if I could speak to myself in my late teens, my early 20s, I mean, I am so glad that I tried to position my life, and I've since tried to position my life to to live by heaven's wisdom because it has brought forth a harvest of righteousness. It has brought forth so much good in my life, but it takes time. It, it takes journey. I want to say to any of you, we can make decisions at any point in our lives, but if you are young in life, if you are at that stage of life where you're just positioning, how are you going to outwork the rest of your life? Choose to do it God's way because God's ways work. They work. They work in the, in the long haul, in the long run. They will produce for you in your life a harvest of righteousness. Now, besides which, if we've decided to follow Jesus, whatever it may produce, it, we've made a decision to follow him. 
You know, there are brothers and sisters in the earth who they're choosing to live for Jesus and it will cost them everything, literally. But even for us that we choose a wisdom, because here what James says is that this wisdom which is earthly and is unspiritual, it produces disorder, but he says it, it comes from the harboring of bitter envy and selfish ambition. Now, if you think about it, this, this is exactly what the world presents to us. Envy and selfish ambition. Envy is to see something that someone else has and to want it, and selfish ambition is to position myself to get it. Like advertising is there exactly for this, to, to bring forth envy and to, and to motivate selfish ambition. This is how the world is orientated. But James is saying to us, actually, it will bring forth disorder. And I, I see it in pastoral ministry. I see it where, where people, they, they, they go after things that they can't afford, and they rack up debt, and then they find themselves in disorder. I want to say, if you've made mistakes in life, there is always grace in God and, and a track back. But actually, we can make a choice of which track we're going to live down. Not the, the wisdom of the world, the wisdom that actually is of the devil. That's what James is saying. It's strong language. But James is saying, it's, it's actually, it will deceive you. I see people who, they, they go after somebody that's not their husband or their wife. They, they get involved in a relationship without, with selfish ambition or self-interest, without consideration of the damage and the carnage they will create. And then their world comes crumbling down and there is disorder. And some of us, I'm not complaining about it, but some of us in pastoral ministry, we, we end up being there to try and help them rebuild. Well, it's a grace to be able to do that, but, but better to go down the wisdom that comes from heaven in the first place. And save yourself the grief. Jesus said the devil is a liar. And when he lies, he speaks his native language. But James says, there's other wisdom. You know, it, it might not look like wisdom. I think we think wisdom is good judgment. Wisdom is good judgment. I think we can think wisdom is for the moment. But I want to suggest to you, there's momentary wisdom and there's lifestyle wisdom. We can, we, we can need wisdom in a moment. What do I do here? Oh, Solomon is, is there and, and two women bring him a baby and they're both saying, it's my baby. And he needs to rule on it. And, there's, and one of them saying, it's my baby. They're saying, no, it's my baby. And he says, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to cut the baby in half, give you half each. And one of the women goes, no, 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 no. Let her have the baby. And he says, you're the mother. Wow. And you look at it and you go, that's, that's momentary wisdom. But also there's wisdom for life. And this is what James says. The, the wisdom for life that will bring forth a harvest of righteousness. It will bring forth good in your life. It is pure. It's peaceable. It's considerate. It's submissive. We're willing to yield. Just make a comment on this. If we position ourselves teachable, God can bring forth a harvest of righteousness in our lives. It's always tragic for me to encounter people who don't position a teachable spirit and and they come and sometimes they you know they'll, they'll come to a church and they'll they'll hear a problem the leaders will say something and they don't like it they don't want to change they don't want to receive it and then the next week the lord's spoken to them to go to a different church and in a little while, they, they bump up against the same issue and guess what happens the lord speaks to them to go to a different church the issue it, it isn't the issue is there it's submissive, but when we're submissive, when we're willing to yield, to be taught, it'll bring forth a harvest of righteousness, full of mercy, good fruit, impartial, sincere. You know, I was good friends with a guy called Chris at, at, at school. He wasn't a Christian. I remember him uh, boasting about the fact he lost his virginity when he was in his teens, and, and he had a number of relationships and slept around and and lived life a certain way. But I remember years later, he was about to get married, and he came to me, and he said, Martin, I wish I'd lived like you. I wish I'd kept myself for this moment. Now, for many of us in the room, we've we made mistakes. There's, there's grace. But I was stunned. But here's a guy going, I lived by a certain wisdom, but now I wish I'd lived by the wisdom that comes from heaven, the wisdom that is pure, because I can see that it would be better to be at this moment in the way that we were designed to. Well, you can look at that a little more, but for the rest of the time, we're going to dive into taming the tongue, the power of words. James has already spoken about this. We didn't draw it in two weeks ago when we were in chapter 1 because I knew we were coming here. But in chapter 1, verse 26, James says, speaking to believers, those who do not keep a tight rein, can we all say tight rein? 
on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Wow. What is he saying? He said, if you can't keep tabs on what you say, then everything else is, is meaningless. You're singing of songs, it's, it counts for nothing. You're, you're, you're giving, it counts for nothing. You're serving of the poor. It's, it, he's saying it's worthless. Everything else is worthless. If you don't deal with this, you've got to attend to this. Perhaps you can remember some harsh words spoken over you. Something said years ago that can still ring around your internal dialogue. A nasty word, an accusing comment. A point of criticism that was unfounded and unfair. Maybe you can remember an encouragement, an affirmation, a prophecy, a life-giving, timely word spoken that built you up and, and, and it gives you strength when you think of it. Proverbs 18.21 says, The tongue has the power of life and death. Wow. The tongue has the power of life and death. Jesus in John chapter 6 says, The words I have spoken are spirit and they are life. You know, my friends, words are spirit. Words are spirit. There can be the power of words can shape things, can bless, can curse, can release. God speaks to Jeremiah chapter 1 and says, I put my words in your mouth. Today I appoint you over nations and kingdoms to uproot, to tear down, to destroy, to overthrow, to build and to plant. My friends, this is what words have the power to do. Not only the word of God, but our words have the power to tear down and the power to build up, right? This is the power of words. And I think this is why James stresses this so much because he's got this big message of we have to put a face to our faith. We have to live this out. But how are we going to do this if we don't talk about what comes out of our mouths? Because what we say impacts those around us. Now, a lot of the, the outworking of our faith is internal. Some of the outworking of our faith impacts others. But what we say always impacts others. So that we can't talk about putting a face to our faith without we talk about words. Jesus in chapter 12, uh, in Matthew chapter 12, sorry, says this, I tell you that men will have to give an account on the day of judgment, let's take a moment on this, for every careless word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted and by your words you will be condemned. James acknowledges that we won't always get it right, though. Thanks be to God. Verse 2, he says, we all stumble in many ways. He says, if, if you can do this, you're perfect. So we're all going to get this wrong, but there's a challenge in James that we work harder to get it right, that we attend to this, we're not careless about it. James uses a number of metaphors. He talks about control, the, the horse's bit, the ship's rudder. He talks about a fire and a forest fire, the, the taming of animals, poison, fresh and salt water, fig trees and grapevines. But I think the most straightforward verses in this run, verses 2 to 12 of James 3, uh, 9 and 10, where he says this, For with the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who've been made in God's likeness. Not talking here just about believers, but anybody. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing, and then this beautiful phrase, My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Mark Twain famously said, it's not the parts of the Bible I don't understand that bother me, it's the parts of the Bible I do understand. And I do understand this. There are parts of the Bible I don't understand, but my brothers and sisters, this should not be. I don't think there's anybody in the room that can't understand that. But give me a wave if you need help. It's just the two of us. Give me a wave if you need help. Getting this right. Listen, this is, do we get this right? Do we get this right all the time? Are our words always pure? We need the Lord to help us. I'd like to pull out of these metaphors two things. Number one, the process of taming and the practice of tight rein. Firstly, the process of taming. James draws on the picture of taming wild animals. He said all types of reptiles, sea creatures, they, they have been tamed and they are being tamed. It's incredible to, to think of. I mean, have you, ever, have you ever seen a wild animal tamed? Have you seen like a, a, a lion at a circus? Or a, have you seen like a, a golden eagle on a falconer's arm? Now, how did you do that? You know, if you, if you go to somewhere like SeaWorld in, in Florida, you'll see killer whales that have been tamed. Now, here there's 
The, the, the finale at SeaWorld, apparently, the, there's a killer whale comes up out of the water with a man or a woman standing on top of the mouth. And the whale just has to go, Wow. Who first thought, hey, I've got an idea. You see that massive fish. I reckon if we get a little one, we could become friends. I mean, you'd just leave it alone, wouldn't you? Wow. And James, and, and yet, I think James is suggesting that the tongue can be tamed. And yet, he actually says, no human can tame the tongue, verse 8. So do we all give up and go home? Well, no, I, I want to add, because James is also saying, you know, that, brothers and sisters, this should not be. He's saying, if you don't keep a tight rein on your tongue, your religion's worthless. He's got to be saying, you can do this. So I, I think, although he says, no human can do this, let me add, with man it may be impossible, but with God all things are possible. And so here's the truth of this passage. Brothers and sisters, we have to work on the taming of our tongue, and yet we can only do it with the help of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit can help us in the process of taming. We're back to this idea of cooperation where we were a couple of weeks ago. You know, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit can change me from the inside out so that what was a restless evil, what was a wildfire, can be brought under control, can be tempered, can be subdued. We can be changed from the inside out. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. But the truth is, you can't do this without the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit won't do this without your invitation. But if we open our hearts and say, God, will you help me? You know, I, I can remember with, with actually shame, and I'm appalled to think back, but there was an instance, I remember I was 19, I'd become a Christian, and I, I remember saying some things I shouldn't have said. I found myself in a very stressful situation. I'd actually, I'd, I'd organized a, a gig for, we'd sold 600 tickets for this gig. And, uh, and I was the organizer, I was responsible, and I'd booked uh, some staging that belonged to the university. And we, we'd booked it for our day when we needed it. And we went to get it, but actually the, the people who had it, they also needed it, and they wouldn't let us have it. But I'd booked it through the system, but when I got there, they, they kind of said, we don't care. We don't care if you booked it. You're not having it. And I remember saying, no, no, but, but, I, but I booked it. It's like, look, it's, it's there. Look, it's in the book. It's ours. And they were like, we don't care. It's bad luck. And they started swearing at me and telling, telling me. And, and I remember going, and I remember, I don't know if you have ever done something, and actually it's almost, it's painful to look upon. And some words came out of my mouth that should never have come out of my mouth. That I'm appalled to think that I said what I said. It horrifies me. There were others around and they knew that I was supposed to be a Christian and I spoke in the most ungodly way. And I remember that night, and I tell you that story because I remember that night, I knelt by my bed and I said, God, will you help me? Will you help me? I never, ever ever want to be found in that situation again. I've dishonored you. I've dishonored your name. The face to my faith is ugly today. Will you help me? I believe God can help us. Matthew 12 says, from the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And if we're going to go on the process of taming, it's to allow the Holy Spirit to do a work in our hearts, because from the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. You know, my, my brothers and my sisters, if if we say things we shouldn't say, if, we, if I speak a dirty joke, if I put someone down, if I scream at my family, if I, if I curse and swear, if I call somebody names, I, I have to be asking, Lord, what is lurking on the inside here? But God can do a work. Thanks be to God. This is the process of taming that we invite the Holy Spirit to do a work within us. This is the process of taming what was, uh, what was loose is now subdued through the work of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says, Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. There's a beautiful story called the keeper of the streams. Uh, and it says this, or the keeper of the springs. It says this, once there was a town high in the Alps that straddled the banks of a beautiful stream. The stream was fed by springs that were old as the earth and deep as the sea. The water was clear like crystal. Children laughed and played beside it. 
Swans and geese swam on it. You could see the rocks and the sand and the rainbow trout that swarmed at the bottom of the stream. High in the hills, far beyond anyone's sight, lived an old man who served as the keeper of the springs. He'd been hired so long ago that now no one could remember a time when he wasn't there. He would travel from one spring to another in the hills, removing branches, fallen leaves, debris that might pollute the water, but his work was unseen. One year, the town council decided they had better things to do with their money. No one supervised the old man anyway. They had roads to repair, taxes to collect, services to offer, and giving money to an unseen stream cleaner had become a luxury they could no longer afford. So the old man left his post high in the mountains. The springs went untended. Twigs and branches and worse muddied the liquid flow. Mud and silt compacted the creek bed. Farm wastes turned parts of the stream into stagnant bogs. For a time, no one in the village noticed, but after a while, the water was not the same. It began to look brackish. The swans flew away to live elsewhere. The water no longer had a crisp scent that drew children to play. Some people in the town began to grow ill. All noticed the loss of sparkling beauty that used to flow between the banks of the streams that fed the town. The life of the village depended on the stream. And the life of the stream depended on the keeper. And the city council reconvened and money was found. The old man was rehired. And after yet another time, the springs were cleaned. The stream was pure. Children played again on its banks. Illness was replaced by health. The swans came home and the village came back to life. That parable, my friends, you know, the, the stream is what we bring to people. The stream of our lives, the words, what people drink from us are, are what, comes, what comes out of us this week. People drink from our stream, and yet if we are going to have a pure stream, we need the keeper of the springs, the Holy Spirit, to be tending to the, the debris, the, the dirty part of our hearts. It's why we have to cooperate with Holy Spirit. It's why we have to say, God, would you help me? Would you help me here that you would cause me to have a pure heart. But we get to choose whether he gets to do that or not. We need the process of taming, but we also need the practice of tight rein. There's a process from the inside out, from the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, and yet in the moment, we have a decision to make. We can control, we have to work on, with the Spirit's help. Psalm 141, David says, oh, put a guard over my mouth, God. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Maybe like me to say, God, would you help me here? But we can practice tight rein. You can think to say something, but stop. And the Holy Spirit, sometimes he'll come at that moment and say, don't say it. That's not the voice of the Holy Spirit, by the way. You'll get that, that God prod, that nudge, that conviction, stop. And yet, sometimes we carry on anyway. and We have to learn the practice of tight rein. Keep a tight rein on your tongue, is what James says. It's a decision. We can exercise control. Think about it. He talks about a bit and talks about a rudder. You know, the, the bit in the horse's mouth doesn't control the mouth. It's the reins that are attached to the bit in the hands of the rider. It's the, it's the tiller that's attached to the rudder post in the hands of the captain that, that steers the ship. And I, and I want to say you, you have the reins of your own mouth. My brothers and sisters, you have the reins of your own mouth. You might need the work of the Holy Spirit to help you, but you can exercise restraint. And this is what we have to learn to do. As we come into land today, I just want to share seven areas quickly. It's okay, don't, it's not going to take an hour. Um, seven areas quickly that, where I think we can be vulnerable because I think we can all be vulnerable in different ways here. And as I'm sharing, don't turn and talk to your husband or your wife and go, yep, this is you. <laughs> Let's see if the Lord might be speaking to you. You know, for some, the, the issue really is anger. It's that you can get triggered. You're fine until you get triggered. And somebody pushes your button. Somebody winds you up. You get to that point, And then there's a torrent released. You know, sometimes we see it, don't we? Like with road rage. I had some guys, I mean, I, I honestly, I, I don't believe I made a mistake, but even if I did, this guy comes right up behind me, you know, sounding his horn, he swerves around and comes alongside and he's giving me all that, you know. <laughs> I'm going, whoa! And, you know, I, what I'm thinking is, I, I think there's more going on than this moment. And yet for some of us, 
It can be this. We, we just, my dad used to say to me, Martin, count to 10. Count to 10. Some of us need to count to 200. But we, <laughs> but we, but there could be that moment. Whoa, what to say something. I, I could say, yeah, the fact you thought it doesn't mean you have to say it. This is the point. Tyrain, I know what I could say here, but mmm. 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 Leave it, because your feelings will change, but you can't take your words back. And we have to exercise restraint. Sometimes, you know, uh, we occasionally get like an angry email, and somebody's going, <laughs> you know, it's just, just don't do it, don't be that guy. Maybe you, you want to say something, and, and you're, save to drafts. Wait a minute. Wait till the morning. Read it in the morning. It'll read different in the morning. Get someone to check it. We sense check. You know, if there's, normally if there's confrontation, we'll always try and do it face to face. Or if we can't do it, we'll do it on the phone. Because tone can so get lost on, on email. But occasionally you have to respond email to email. And, and we'll go, would you just sense check this for me? And you know, if some emotion is bleeding into the response, the other one will go, you don't need to say that bit. Right? <laughs> Just, just delete that bit. We can help ourselves. Sometimes the, the issue can be anger. Sometimes the issue can be what I'd call vanity. It's this desire for self-significance. You can't bear to do something without others knowing about it. It's not the way of the, the wisdom, James says, is humility. It boasts, it exaggerates. Just stop. Do things and don't say about it. Let God promote you. No, God has a way. You know, if you live a life like that, where you, the good that you do, you, you just do it unto the Lord. You know, in time, the, the Lord has a way of letting that be seen. And letting not only be seen what you did, but the fact that you deliberately didn't say anything. And, and then people will want to promote you. This is the way of the kingdom. For some, the issue is pride. It's about having the last word. You know, some of us, we'd never be like this in church, but in home, in our marriages, you've always got to have the last word. You don't have to have the last word. Now, win by losing once in a while. It's okay. Just stop. You could say something else, but just don't. Okay. Okay. Let's pray. You can do it. You'll actually feel good. You'll feel better than if you me. <laughs> and afterwards you go away and you're, you're thinking, I could have said that and I could have said that and the conversation's happening again. Just stop. It's pride. I want to be right. You don't have to be right. There's one who's right. And his way is humility. You just stop. You know, there's this incredible moment in the Valley of Elah, David and Goliath, the story, and David's gone to visit his brothers at the behest of his father and to take some, some food along to them. And Eliab, the eldest one the, one, the one of whom in the previous chapter, the man of God had gone and said, ah, this is the one. But the Lord said, no, it's not the one. Man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. And Eliab, the eldest brother, he sees David and he, uh, and he disses him, verse 28. He says, what are you doing here? The Living Bible says, I, I know what a cocky brat you are. That's the Living Bible version. He says, I know how conceited you are. He says, what are you doing here? You're bloodthirsty. And, and he says, what, what about those few little sheep, the few little sheep? You know, what are you doing with, what are you doing with your little sheep, Dave? <laughs> That's what he says to him. Do you know what David, you know what David could have said? I <laughs> said, who got anointed? <laughs> he, he, he could have said, and what are you doing, you big fat oaf? Look at this, this Goliath coming out. What have you done? You're scared, aren't you, mate? I'm not scared. Look at you, skelly, you're quaking. Fine, you go fight him then, Eliab. Look at you, you chicken. <laughs> Do you know what David said? David says, can't I speak? And then the next verse, verse 30, he said, and he, he turned away. He turned away. You know, sometimes we, you can say it, just turn away. It's pride. Gossip can be an issue for some of us. You know, there's something of the flesh that just loves and delights in the sensational, in the salacious. Some of, not all, some of our media is geared down this. It's horrific. It's around us all the time. 
just feeding. Headlines, they're, they're there just to feed the flesh of sensationalism that lives and resides in humanity. But some of us in our fallen nature, we just delight to, to say more than we need to say. Oh, but did you hear about, well, you, but you know what she's like. Did you hear what he did? You know, stop. I remember somebody, I was, I was talking to somebody about somebody. And they said to me, yeah, did you know that years ago she had an affair? I did not know that. I did not need to know that. I did not want to know that. But you know what? It told me more about the teller than about the person they were speaking about. And if somebody sees other people's names unsafe in your mouth, they'll never trust you. We just have to stop. And some of us will, will get to a point where we're about to say something and the Holy Spirit will put his finger and we have to stop. Let me tell you, if, you, if you're going to practice tight rain, you're going to have to do an emergency stop at some point. It's part of learning. You're going to go, yeah, but you know what I was going to say? I go, Woom. And then you go, I was going to say something, but I don't think I need to. And you'll feel a bit silly, but it's practicing tight rain. And once you've done that a few times, it'll come to you before it's half out. You've got to learn to do this. Your confidentiality is not telling one person at a time. Some of us, we think it is. AJ, this is confidential. So I'll tell you, Sarah, let's tell you, just, it's, it's, conf it's, co it's confidential. <laughs> so I'm just going to tell her, not everybody. So let's tell you this, it's confidential. Okay, so it's just us. Confidential means you don't say anything to anybody. And some of us, we have to practice tight rein. What comes out of our mouths, it can hurt people. And we can help one another. If somebody says to you, I'm not sure if I should say this, then go, well, don't. Right? Stop. Mute. Just like, don't do it. I'm not sure if I should say this to you. Well, don't. Only say it if you're absolutely sure you should. Because I don't need to know everything. Somebody once says it takes a big ear to hear a big mouth. And someone says, oh, go on. Oh, go on. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> unbelief. Some of us, you know, we can carry unbelief, and I won't stay here long, but unbelief is always self-fulfilling. And unbelief is always easier than faith. Now, if someone's carrying faith, never undermine it by your unbelief. For some of us, unkindness in our flesh, we can be those people. We, we come to Jesus, but before we were saved, we just delighted in a nasty comment. We delighted in a, in a critical jibe. Some of us, we're capable of, of having an, an acid tongue, a sharp tongue. We can think of that comment. And it, what is that? It, but we can put a tight rein on it. You don't need to say it. You know, when I became a Christian, I'd, my humor was largely sarcastic. It's not kind. Kindness. Kindness is the fruit of the Spirit. Kindness is, is underrated. Kindness doesn't look like a power gift. But, but kindness is a garden of life. Who does not love to be around kindness? There are some people who are kind, and kindness is good. We can be kind. On social media, if, if what we're saying isn't kind or uplifting, don't say it. And lastly, uncleanness. Lamar, why don't you come? You know, I was shocked a couple of years ago, someone said to me, you know that some of those guys, they, they're like, their conversation's coarse when you're not there. I was really shocked. They said, like, there's crude joking, there's innuendo. I was like, what? It's like, they're never like that around me. And the guy said, yeah, well, they wouldn't be like that around you. Let me, let me say, brothers and sisters, if you wouldn't say it to me and Esther, don't say it. Now, this week, if you start saying something, they say, Would, could I go tell pastor? Would I make that joke in front of Pastor Esther? If the answer is, ooh, I don't think so. I don't think she'd appreciate it. Then there's your barometer. Don't say it. Stop it. I know some of us were in work environments, school environments, college environments, where this is rampant. It's all over the place. The, the uncleanness of talk. But the fact that others are talking, it doesn't mean you have to talk it. And sometimes we, we don't even have to confront it. We just can remove ourselves from it. We can decide we're going to check the news or go for a walk or visit the bathroom or just come away and allow what's coming out of your mouth and what's going into your head to be clean and to be wholesome. This is the man of God. This is the woman of God. You know, as I finish here, I don't know if you feel challenged, but... But I'm challenged. But you know, I, I think James 
says this, not only because it's the faith to our faith, but you know, if we get this right, if what comes out of our mouths is a stream of life, if what comes out of our mouths is life giving to others, they will see Jesus in us. If when something harsh could be said and something kind, they will see grace. We will put a face to grace in that moment. If we get this right, if what comes out of our mouths reflects the family dialect, then something good happens and Jesus comes and it might be said, I, I met Christ in a woman today. I met Christ in a man today because something that came out of their mouth was life-giving and whole and countercultural to the world. And I think this is what James is saying. You know, if we can get this right, we'll transform the world around us. Why don't we stand together and pray? any challenge in this word to you today, if you know that you need the help of the Holy Spirit, then join me and put your hand on your heart first of all, because it's from the overflow of the heart that the mouth speaks. And join with me in prayer. Lord, would you help us, Holy Spirit? Thank you. You transform us from the inside out. It's what you do. It's who you are. And we pray, would you, would you keep this spring that what comes out of our mouths would be clean and pure and life-giving? Would you remove the debris that lurks? Would you help us? Would you transform us from the inside out that our words might be kind and gracious and good and positive and wholesome and pure and full of love and kindness and grace? Lord, that people would see you in us because we have a heart transformation. And if you're able, why not put your finger on your lips or over your mouth? And Lord, would you help us that this week, maybe not now over coffee, but maybe on Tuesday afternoon, on Wednesday morning when we're in a hurry, maybe on Friday night when we're tired, would you help us that our words would reflect your goodness and your grace? Help us, Lord, with the practice of tight rein. Help us, Lord, to exercise restraint. Help us, Lord, where we've said too much or gone too far before to begin to learn what it is to exercise self-control, that our mouths would glorify you, that it will be said of us with those that praise the Lord, but we do not bring curses out of the same stream. Help us, Lord, that what comes forth is not salt water, but fresh life-giving to the world around us for the honor of your name. Let's remain standing as we worship.